Well, Randall, it's over. The losing streak is finally over. 11 games. The Cubs win yesterday, 8-3 to three against the Phillies. I got to ask you, Randall, did you sleep well last night? I, I like to think the Cubs don't affect my sleep. That's a little bit of a lie. But no, it, it feels like the end of a disaster movie. Like, yeah, you've survived. Yeah, the characters are all staring into the camera, patting themselves on the back. But there's still a, a devastated planet or country behind them. It's great that they broke the losing streak, but it's we still got to 11 games and it still ended their season. Uh, it's been rough, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, lots to talk about on the show today. Uh, as the Cubs limp into the All-Star break, Jeremy Randall and I, we want to look at some uh, of the high moments of the first half of the season. There have been some low moments as well, so we're going to touch on both of those. Um, we will also talk about, okay, where are the Cubs at now? Um, 10, 15 days ago, they were maybe still buyers going into the trade deadline. Seems now like selling is where it's going, so we'll talk about who we think the most valuable trade piece the Cubs have, who is likely to be on the move, who's going to be sticking around, and what does all of this mean for next year with the Cubs? That's something we want to talk about. I also want to look forward a little bit to the second half of the season, some things that we're excited about. Uh, It is All-Star Week here in Denver. Lots going on there. looks like a good home run derby. We have some thoughts on that. Also, just some kind of general updates. I took some time before the show tonight, walking around Denver, taking in the scenes around Coors Field. There's some cool stuff that I want to share with you guys. We've got some trivia, All-Star themed trivia. And then this is hard to believe, but number 26 of Behind the Yellow Line. So we're going to tip our caps to one of the all-time Cubs greats, Billy Williams, as we bring the show home today. So a lot going on. Jeremy Spector is here. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. Uh, got to ask you guys, we've got a lot of bad Cubs baseball to talk about in a couple of minutes, but I want to start with a good thing. Jeremy, how was your 4th of July? 4th uh, of July was pretty uh, pretty chill, pretty legit. Got to go out on the uh, boat a little bit, the Boston Whaler, 16-foot Boston Whaler, or closer to 17 feet, actually, uh, with my father. Got to do that, and, uh, you know, on July 5th, did some smoking, had some ribs, that that was pretty legit. So uh, yeah, nice Fourth of July weekend. That sounds real good. Randall, how was your fourth? It was fine. Uh, I like to think I continued my thirty thirty some year streak of not having any digits blown off by a firework. So I've got that going for me. Didn't take one in the chest either. I did not take one in the chest, fortunately. Brutal, brutal. Did you have anything sparklers, Randall? Poppets? What were you What were you playing with? Uh, you know, I I do have sparklers, and I I used them all up. When I was very young, uh, my mother still worked part-time in the hospital and I was not permitted anything like that. Even the poppers, the ones you'd throw against the ground, just because she told me she'd seen too many people coming into the ER with firework injuries. So mm-hmm. this, this is me uh, rebelling against that uh, 20 some years later is buying a box of sparklers and lighting them off on my balcony. There you go. Big, big party in the Grove. Uh, Jeremy, any fireworks in your weekend? Uh, not really. I did see some uh friday night i had dinner at the, at the uh, glen club and uh, out on the patio and you could kind of when you were looking out you could see certain areas shooting off fireworks over the uh golf course you know different uh communities but uh the other nights i didn't really go out and really check out the fireworks you could hear them but uh, yeah. not not much 
I saw Barry Butler, who's one of the great photographers in Chicago, had some real cool shots looking west. When you're in the city and you're looking west, it's unbelievable up yeah. above the tree canopy. And I, I have to remember July 4th, 2015, a game, Jeremy, you and I were at together. Randall, you were at that game, though you weren't sitting with us. Uh, great night for the Cubs. So much excitement with that 2015 team. Chris Bryant hit a grand slam. I, if I remember correctly, you had two home runs that night. Two home runs. Right, yeah, you against the correct. Marlins. Cubs won big. There were fireworks at Wrigley Field that night. That was a rare event. But I remember after the game, back when you could go up on the uh, old patio behind home plate above the marquee, us looking west. There was no hotel at the time there. You could really see off into the distance. It was unbelievable, the sights around Wrigley Field that night. Just really cool to see people, hopefully safely, but out enjoying themselves. It was pretty amazing to see all the yeah. different fireworks, like hundreds of different areas shooting off their fireworks. It was just nonstop, just everywhere. It was like a whole horizon full of fireworks. I remember that view very clearly. And I'm mostly for most of the renovations around Wrigley, but I do miss that view of being able to look west from the ballpark and see way off into the horizon, especially on a night like that. And I miss the old patio behind the press box when that was open to the public and not just a, uh, uh, uh rich club or whatever you want to call it. There's those private walk, seats. There's still like a walkway behind it. Yeah. You get a very alley. narrow alleyway, but it right. used to be nice to sit up there. Exactly. You could see the skyline, look into the city. And then when uh, the hotel wasn't there, uh, to your point, Randall, look West during sunset, it was just really, really nice. And, um, I will say, I've talked a lot on this show. I live sort of in the shadow of Coors Field, one of the great traditions the Rockies have. And this is a franchise that doesn't have a ton of history or tradition yet. But one of the real things that they do right are their 4th of July fireworks shows. Uh, they're always home around the 4th, the Friday and Saturday night um, this weekend, uh, put on unbelievable shows. And for me, I can go up on the roof of my apartment and I'm underneath the fireworks show i'm just a couple hundred feet away from the ballpark so it's very very cool unique perspective and a free show for me the rockies had about fifty thousand fans uh both nights friday and saturday for fireworks so for me to not have to pay those fees go up on the roof get my own grill going that's a pretty good way to enjoy the holiday weekend but we all have our digits we're all doing well the problem is the cubs are not doing well and it has gotten very, very bad. These last couple of shows, it's like, well, maybe it'll be better next time. Cubs have hit rock bottom here in the last week. The losing streak reached 11 games. And how far they've fallen, pretty telling here in the last month. Cubs high point this year, June 13th. That's when they finished off the three-game sweep against St. Louis, a 2-0 victory at Wrigley. That was the first weekend of full capacity back at the ballpark. The Cubs, after that victory, 38-27, and you're feeling really, really good in the division. Since then, 5-17, and 17, while the Cubs have spent 25 days in first place this season, Randall, I don't think we're seeing first place again. They have dug too deep of a hole at this point. I think the, the plummet is going to continue. The Pirates will probably keep them from being a last-place team, you would hope, but finishing in fourth place, not out of the question at this point, and that's just beyond depressing given where this team was less than a month ago. It, it's been it's – been, gut-wrenching, difficult, just awful to watch. Jeremy, it has been a combination of losses too since that no-hitter in Los Angeles. One-run losses for the Cubs, blowouts. We saw before his injured list appearance, Eric Sogard pitching multiple times over the last two weeks. It's been a combination of big losses, close losses. Uh, end of the day, though, we're talking about 11 straight losses, one of the worst losing streaks in the history of the franchise. 
Yeah, when you lose 11 straight games, you're going to lose them in a variety of ways. And it's been pretty frustrating, uh, especially since a lot of those games, Cubs, you know, they had a lead or they were were, uh, tight games at some point. And it just seemed like the bottom would fall out at at certain points. A lot of games, it seemed like the Cubs, even like it was like every game that, uh, you know, they would go up like two, nothing two one early and then just kind of come back. So, yeah, it's very frustrating. Obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're hoping at some point, you know, you can you kind of kicking in gear, you know, get it to a point where you can, you know, make some, make something competitive, uh, competitive, but then you, you, you go to that red series, you lose three games. You you're probably going to lose three out of uh, four with this Philly series. That's just, it's just so tough to keep coming to try to come back from that. It's like the next two weeks, it's basically your last chance. And if you're going to keep losing, like it's, it's really hard to really put anything, you know, in the long-term perspective. Jeremy, you, you said it. It felt like every loss in that losing streak, if they weren't getting blown out, they'd go up one nothing, two nothing early. And you say to yourself, All right, there's their offense for the night. Hope they can make it stand up. And they did not at any point make it stand up. Some games felt like carbon copies of Well, the I night wouldn't before. really say that to myself, to be honest. I, I did like just say like two runs and in, in the second, third inning, that's it. You know, I, I had a little more faith in some guys. Well, we all have like, we all have different internal monologues, Jeremy. I but know, but you 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 said that for all of us. Some some games some games felt like carbon copies of the night before. And that's what happens in a long losing streak. You just wonder uh, what's it gonna look like when the other shoe drops tonight. And it, it kept looking ugly. Well, I just wish that our audience could see the group chat that the three of us have, especially during this losing streak. Um, our group chat is a combination of audio visual. There's uh, anecdotes, there's tweets that go thrown in there, but the colorful language that Randall has presented over the last 11 or 12 days, it's not for everybody, but man, it's a sight to see. Yeah. And, and some of it goes on Twitter as well. And, and just so I'm not being misrepresented here, it's nothing that would, uh, that I would be ashamed to share with anybody, but it's also nothing that's inaccurate. I, I've, I've had some colorful things to say about this team because that's, that's simply where we're at. You can only watch so many losses in a row before they, they simply break you and yet you have to let out an F-bomb to somebody. Sure. Well, Randall, I got to ask you this. If you were to sum up this season in one word, would it be fair for me to say horseshit? It would. And I use that word, I'd like to say, because Tom Hanks calls it a classy curse, a classy okay. cuss. And, you know, if he says it's classy, that's good enough for me. So that, that's why that's my go to word of choice. Yeah, and well, I, there's, I, yeah we were thinking about uh, doing a pod on Monday. Right. And so I, I and we didn't actually get around to doing that. But Randall, you were possibly thinking about taking a, like a mental health day there uh, off the pod. Load uh, management. So I want to know load management. If we're all good to go for for tonight, you know, how are I, I assure you I've talked to the head coach and we we're, we figure I'm good the rest of the way. Well, we're, we're going to try to not be too pessimistic on this podcast. We've been fans of this team for a long time. Um, it's really sad. I, I kind of chuckled a little bit, but. Don't get me wrong. I'm pissed off and it sucks what's happening with the team this year, but I chuckled a little bit. I never thought the 2021 Cubs would end up close to a sentence involving the 1997 Cubs. And yet they found a way to do it. They came close to that 0-14 run, Um, but we're not all going to be doom and gloom on the show. Uh, One of the things that we talked about coming into this was highlighting what we're calling, or at least I'm calling Randall's totally not totally on board with the 
title for this segment. I'm calling it the woos and the poos of the first half of the season. And the woos, think about Ronnie Woo. If you've got positive thoughts about a guy like that, like what's a highlight? What's something memorable or notable or fun about the first half of the season? And then the pooey part, like the obvious 11 game losing streak, but we deep dove a little bit. We have some things we want to share with you. And I want to go first this time. So uh, Jeremy, should I start with the woo or the poo? from the first half of this Cubs season? I think start with the woo. Start with the woo. Um, so a couple of things were bouncing through my head. Uh, you know, Patrick Wisdom is one thing that comes to mind, of course, the memorable run that he had, just an exciting couple of weeks when he first came up. The combined no-hitter, that's something we've never seen before in franchise history. But the one that I really wanted to highlight was the return to a 162-game season and how welcome it is, even though it's been an ugly, messy year for the Cubs. Uh, last year, We've talked about this plenty on the show. I appreciate it for what it was. It was infinitely better than not having any baseball season, not having any playoffs. But a 60-game season, I mean, it really wasn't baseball. It was a very strange season. The Cubs last year, 34-26. and 26. Um, This year, through 60 games, the Cubs were 33-27. and 27. And you can see, though, as the season has progressed, you need a full season. You need 162 games to get a real sense of what these teams are. And that's what we're getting again this year. I've still got issues with the extra inning rule. I don't love the seven inning double headers. There's some other rule changes I'd make. But to me, it's just so refreshing to return to a 162 game season. It feels more real and it makes the season more like authentic to me in the sense that this is what happens. You can get hot for two months. That isn't really telling what a baseball team is. And unfortunately this year, the Cubs have shown that 60 games is not a snapshot to really capture what a baseball team is. So that's one thing I wanted to highlight return to the full season. And I would think you're probably on board with that. Definitely. The full season is very important. I love the marathon. Even the sprint of last year didn't, didn't feel like, you know, real true baseball. You need, Every day a game, you know, for six months, that's, that's, that's baseball. Totally. You know, I, I had a thought this, this past weekend in, in between bouts of being angry at this team. And that was that last July 4th, there was no baseball. And this July 4th, we had baseball. It's awful baseball, baseball that makes us angry, makes us emotional. But as you said, bad baseball is better than no baseball. And I think a July 4th without baseball is ultimately a poorer July 4th. So I, I, I was on that basis, happy to see that we did have baseball this year. Totally. So and it just goes to show you, I mean, the Cubs basically had an identical record this year at 60 games to last year. Last year, that was good enough for a division title. A couple minutes ago, Randall, you're saying the Cubs are probably finishing fourth in the division this year, or maybe likely finishing fourth. So 60 games, not, not really what you can get out of it. And it, it still hasn't been a normal season. I wouldn't say that, but it's getting closer to normal. And once we get past the CBA, we will get regular baseball returning here. So 162 game season, that's my woo. My poo from the first half of the year, and this one hurts because it's a player that I really like and a player that I thought was going to be maybe one of their best offensive performers this year, but somebody who's really struggled, Ian Happ. And it's been kind of a head scratcher looking at what he's done this year. Um, essentially, the power is all gone. He's walking about the same he did as last year. His strikeout rate's about the same of where it was last year. Um it appears he's been unlucky. His, his BABIP is particularly low, but this is a guy whose power has just been completely zapped that they've gotten really no production out of center field. And it's been tough because this is a guy going into his age 26 year. You're thinking, okay, he's putting it together. He put up two war in 60 games last year. I was kind of expecting a big breakthrough here. And it's been, in fact, a big setback. 
Yeah, when you say his power has been completely sapped, a lot of it is from the fact that he's not really hitting the ball in the air anymore. I mean, he's hitting a lot of balls into the ground. Uh, he His launch angle, you know, at one point it was like 15, 16 degrees. Now, this past year, it's at the lowest of his career at eight degrees. And so, like, he's just not it's, – it's, it's, he's not hitting in the, in the air anymore. And his exit velo has gone down a little bit. Um, you know, he's still hitting a lot of hard balls, not as hard as he did last year. Or at the start of the season, over the past couple of weeks, it, I feel like he's hit a lot of balls weaker. But, uh, you know, that's a huge part of it. So at some point, I, Ian Happ's got to start hitting the ball in the air because that's that's really been the sap of his power. And the, the frustrating thing is he had, he had yet another great spring, which seems to be his hallmark. He rakes in the spring and you, you say to yourself, boy, he's going to have a big year. And then the regular season starts and he simply doesn't pull that out. And at some point, that's going to have to translate or he's not going to be on this roster anymore. His slugging this year down to 336. It was 505 a year ago, peaked in 2019 at 564. So power's gone away and it's been frustrating. I think that Ian Happ really epitomizes what's been frustrating about this offense because this is a guy that came in with such high expectations. He seemed to respond really well to being forced to AAA, which is difficult for a guy who makes their major league debut, plays for a playoff team, then gets sent back to the minor leagues. He seemed to bounce back from it, but in what should be a pivotal year for him, the offense just hasn't been there. So for me, that's really been the most a disappointing aspect, I think, of the first half of this season. I had high hopes for Ian Happ. I thought he might be an all-star this year. That hasn't been the case at all, and it's been a big part of the Cubs' offensive problems. So my woo of the first half of the year, returning to a full season, my poo of the first half of the year, Ian Happ offensively. Uh, Randall, give it to us next. What's your woo from the first half this year? Well, my woo has been the emergence of not just the back end of the bullpen, but a couple of guys that they've called up. It's been good to see Keegan Thompson. It's been good to see Justin Steele prior to his injury. And we'll probably talk about him later because he was in a, a bit of reporting about the team today. But guys like Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele, uh, and of course, the back end of the bullpen with the Tapera, Chafin, Kimbrell, uh, three-headed monster. And honestly, seeing Kimbrell round back to form you know he's had a a bit of a circuitous route to get here signing mid-season in 2019 after a 2018 where his numbers were trending in the wrong direction uh we know how he started the 2020 sprint season losing his closures job after that disastrous outing in cincinnati it's been nice for getting a it's been nice to get a half season of the craig kimbrell that is probably headed for the hall of fame at some point uh, to yeah. see the guy throwing mid to throwing upper 90s with that great knuckle curve of his. It's been nice that that'll probably be our last memory of Craig Kimbrell in a Cubs uniform is him pitching like his career has shown he's capable of doing and not the guy who struggled off and on in the first season, really first full season between two two calendar years. So that's been my that's my woo is to see uh, the bullpen which was a weakness early on to see that round out and become a strength. The thing I'm not so fond of is the, the offense they're played by the same. Call yeah. it what you want. You, you guys call it what you, you want. You can't go past that. I'm not, you're not getting me I, a I microphone the, saying that. I'm just letting the listeners know that this is your poo. <laughs> the offense has been plagued by the same issues of the last two or three seasons. You've got, you don't make enough contact and it kills them when there's a runner on second, a runner on third with less than two outs. And the guys who were helping with that got hurt. Matt Duffy got hurt. Nico Horner missed quite a bit of time. He's back now. And 
this has been an issue in 2018, 2019, 2020, where they simply do not make enough contact to be a consistently productive offense. And that happens when really three, your four, four of your biggest hitters, that being Contreras, Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant, they all strike out a fair bit. You don't have one guy in there who's really a great contact hitter. And, you know, that, that's what happens. And if you're walking a fair bit and hitting a whole lot of home runs with those guys on base, you can kind of paper over it, but they're not doing that quite enough either. So it's a little frustrating to see that uh, the same seems like the same thing we've been complaining about for th for three or four straight off seasons. They at no point bothered to fix. And sure enough, that problem did not go away on its own. Yeah, they, uh, you know, you're right. Well, a little bit there with uh, the lack of contact that they lost with Nico and, and Matt Duffy. That's obviously uh, a huge loss um, that the, the team, you know, they, replacing Duffy with wisdom. Yeah. It gives you power, but it, it increases your strikeout. Uh, percentage uh, Rizzo, you know, he's a guy that throughout his, I mean, he's striking out a little bit more this year, but for the most part of his career, he's not really a big strikeout guy. He's, he's been a very, uh, you know, last, like he's had put up seasons where he's only been like a 12% uh, strikeout. And, and so I wouldn't really put him in the same category as some of those other guys, Bryant Baez, uh, Contreras, but yeah, you know, you're right. The team off a lot of strikeout power on the team or, or not power is the wrong word, but potential, that you, you want to balance it out a little bit with the Nico, with the Matt Duffy. And, and it stinks that they haven't been able to do that due to the, uh, the injuries. All right. So good stuff there, Randall. Always good to hear about your woos and poos. Uh, Jeremy, give us what do you got here for what you've liked, uh, your woos and poos from the first half of the season. All right. So my woo, uh, being a guy who likes to get out to Wrigley Field, is that the fact that we've been able to get to a full Wrigley Field this season. Every, uh, you know, I've been able to get to a bunch of games out already this season with a full Wrigley Field. Uh, you know, I got there with a 25%, 60%, and then 100% capacity. And that game you mentioned, that 2 nothing game of the Cardinals, I was able to be at that game. And that was an absolute spectacular game, a fun game. Wrigley's been, you know, it's been a great atmosphere, I feel like, for most of the year. Even now, I think, with, uh, you know, teams stinking it up a little bit, about to lose, you know, 11 out of 12 games or 12 out of 13 games. It still feels like the people at Wrigley, you know, are out there. Yep. You know, everybody's just excited to be there because you haven't been able to be out there in a year. Um, so I, I would say the Wrigley Field atmosphere, that's my big boo. Um, my big poo is got to be the starters. I mean, we didn't really expect much coming into the season, as we all discussed, but I had some hopes that, you know, you could get something out of some of these starters, even their best starter, who I would think you would say has to be Kyle, hasn't been great this year. He's been mediocre at best. And I thought you could get something more out of Zach Davies. I thought Adbert, you know, Adbert, Sometimes I just feel I know his sliders like been his best pitch, but I feel like he falls in love with it so, too much and he throws it. And it just seems like there's always a spot where he throws it like that one too many times and it gets crushed and he maybe just can't locate it properly. And it's just that one too many times he throws it and it gets crushed. And I, so that's been my big frustration. Obviously, Jake, you know, we were talking last time on the podcast whether or not Jake should get another start. Yeah, they gave him another start. And look what happened. And, you know, I, I he pretty much since early May, like I, it's been to me, like, how can you throw that guy out there every fifth day? It's been bad. And I know they put him on the I.L. and I know they've had I.L. problem or, you know, injury problems with a lot of guys. They've had a lot of 40 man issues. So they haven't really been trying to get guys. But they, they claim, you know, if we take them at their word that Jake has been dealing with a hamstring injury for like 
whatever, but he was good to go. Right. But if he was really dealing with a hamstring injury and he's out there sucking every five days, I would be like, you know what? Maybe just sit this out. You know, you're not get better because you're not helping. Like if he was pitching, okay, I would think whatever he's grinding through it, but it's not like he's been good. He's been bad. So part of me is, I don't know if I, I mean, I don't know if I believe that maybe it's just an excuse to put him on the IL, right? They claimed it. It's been forever. So, you know, it's probably not the case, but you know, the starters, I, you're not going to win if you get absolutely nothing out of your starting rotation. And that's yeah. really been it. I mean, if the Cubs had an okay rotation, if they had, could get anything out of there, not dead last pretty much in the league, um, they probably would be all right. They probably would not have this 11 game losing streak right now. They probably would be fighting with the Brewers or the Reds who seem to be searching now, you know? So my disappointment has just really been how bad the starting pitching has been. I didn't think worst in the league. Yeah. Jeremy, what you said about Jake Arrieta and his supposed hamstring injury, there's no good read of that because either they've been sending him out there with hamstring pain for the last, how long ago was it? Last what? Two, three months or they're making up a story to cover for their, their veteran starting pitcher. Neither one of those is a great possibility. So one way or another, it seems like they've terribly mishandled Jake Arietta by letting him continue to pitch. Well, I think they terribly mishandled it by bringing him back. Like we knew there was nothing there. We talked, I mean, pick a single digit behind the yellow line back in spring training. We were talking about, this was the worst case scenario. A I was crappy hopeful. Jake Arietta out on the mound, struggling at Wrigley Field. And this is what we're seeing. And it's it's real. It's not struggling. It's seven runs in the second inning. And the Cubs are down and out of the ballgame before it's even really started. So it's just, it, it's frustrating that I still believe if you had held on to Darvish, if you had instead of done the Williams and Arietta thing, you threw a couple million dollars at, you know, I, there's any name that you could throw out there that the Taiwan Cubs Walker. could have been in on. Taiwan Walker, sure. What about the guy on the south side, Rodon, who was DFA'd yeah. by the White Sox? They could have thrown a couple Although million dollars at him. I would expect Rodon, if, if the money sure. was even, he probably would have gone back to the White Sox. Totally, totally. And I, it's a lot easier for me to say that in retrospect. But it's like if the Cubs had tried to add to the starting rotation instead of getting rid of you, Darvish, and throw, taking flyers on Trevor Williams and Jake Arrieta, they're not in this position. They're, and it's not a very good division. And as hot as the Brewers have been over the last two weeks or so, that's still a flawed team. And this division could be winnable for a team like the Cubs. There are plenty of good pieces there. There's yeah, a I, decent possibility this Cubs team loses 90 games this year. That's I unbelievable. Yeah, that is unbelievable. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Reds make a little surge here because they've mm-hmm. been playing well. They're taking it to the Brewers. I mean, they've been playing the Brewers, you know, this weekend. Like, I don't think the Brewers are going to want to run away with this division. So, like, no. that's part of the reason why it's like, to me, I know we're all like sell, 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 and they're going to sell. But to me, it's like, okay, you know, you make uh, any stand in the next two weeks, just do something, some reason to convince, you know, to possibly hold off a little bit. But like, I'm not ready to get, I'm like 95% of the way there, but I'm not 100% of the way there to like, we're all going to have to sell. So, you know, because I, I don't think the Brewers are going to hold on to this and like just run away with the division. Well, that's a great segue, Jeremy, into what we want to talk about next is, okay, where do you go from here? We've gotten through our woos and our poos from the first half of the year. All-Star game is coming up next week. The Cubs have three in St. Louis this weekend, then the break, then two weeks or so until the trade deadline. So, Jeremy, you're you're not convinced to sell because I'm I'm on board. Well, I think Randall's on board. Or, or where are you I'm at? I'm not yeah, convinced that. In, the, in the exact moment right now to sell. I don't think we should be going out there being like – everything is hundred percent to sell. I mean, two weeks ago we were in a buy mode. 
So who knows what two weeks from now will be? Uh, I, I think most likely two weeks from now we will be in the sell mode. I think it probably, you know, there's a very good chance of that. Um, but I, I'm not going to say like 100% like that's what we should be banking on. Um, but, you know, where I think I, I don't think they will sell until it gets to the deadline. I don't think they're going to proactively sell guys off. I think they will wait and see just to give guys a chance, just to give them an opportunity to say, look, if you, if anything's there, give them an opportunity to try to make something of it, hold out as, as long as you possibly can. And then if you have to sell, then that's the decision that has to be made. And perhaps they can get more out of it than, you know, they would get a little bidding war going, but honestly, I don't, I'm a little skeptical. I, I don't, I think they will sell off some pieces. I think the bullpen guys will probably be guaranteed to go. I think Kimbrel's probably a guarantee to go if they continue on this pace. Um, but I'm not super convinced some of these position players are guys that will be traded because one, I think it's, they're going to be difficult to trade Two, I think um, just because other teams, you know, value them. I mean, Chris Bryant's hurt right now. So, and bias too. Um, and, and, and three, I also kind of think the Ricketts might come into play with this. I think, I don't think they want to go into a second half of the season where fans are just not showing up after the pandemic. I think they're going to want to have some fans there. So uh, I think that's a possibility. And I think with the trade, with the draft pick compensation, while it's not as high as it was the last couple of years, um, you're guaranteed to get compensation for guys like Baez, Rizzo, and, and Brian if they sign elsewhere. So anything they get has to be higher than that draft pick compensation. Uh, probably a good amount, I would think. So I'm not 100% convinced some of these position players are going to go. And I tend to agree with Jeremy on this count. You do have to field some semblance of a team after the trade deadline. You you can't just get rid of everyone that isn't completely nailed down. So I, I do think that some pieces will go. And I'm inclined to think that probably one big name goes. But I don't think it's going to be a complete wholesale cleaning. Because, again, you still want people to come come to the games. And you do still have to field a team after the trade deadline. You, you can't just replace the Chicago Cubs with the Iowa Cubs and go from there. Well, this is interesting. And I, I think we're sort of on the right track with this. The, the Cubs are going to certainly move some pieces. They will definitely be selling some pieces of this team. But I think the real question, we're not going to get an answer to this, at least not publicly. I, what I would like to know is what is the expected payroll the next couple of seasons. Cause I think that's a huge determining factor in what you have moving forward. The Cubs have like $50 million on the books for next year. Uh, they could certainly bring back Rizzo. They could bring back a bias. They could bring back a Bryant. What is Anthony Rizzo's value right now? A guy with back problems, he's aging. I think the Cubs are going to be very competitive for a guy like that. So what I would like to know is what's the expected payroll next year, because that answers a lot of questions. What I don't think under any circumstance is we're looking at a long-term or an extended rebuild. I don't think that's necessary with the, with the payroll flexibility that they have, with a farm system that is on the upswing. And I do think they're going to sell guys like Kimbrell, maybe Bryant here at the deadline, who are going to reinforce that farm system with the draft going on this weekend as well. So I, I think the farm system's on the upswing. They've got a ton of money to spend. So I don't think we're looking at three, four years of losing seasons and totally tanking and rebuilding. What I want to know, though, is what's that expected payroll next year? Because that plays a role in what happens with Baez and Rizzo and Bryant over the next couple of weeks as much as anything. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. Uh, and you listened to Jed talk today. He was he didn't even want to use the rebuild word because he's like, look, we're not looking to rebuild. We might sell off some pieces, but we're ready. 
raring to go. So, but part of that, I think, and if you want to, I don't know, but like if you sell off a lot of pieces now, I uh, and you know, and and the second half of the season, and there's a lot of empty seats out there because nobody wants to see the 2012 version of the Cubs play again. That you know, you could get a Tom Ricketts being like, "Well, we don't have the money to you know put back into the team," so I think that can kind of come into it. So uh, I I I hundred percent if the Cubs are at the way they are and looking like they're gonna sell, I hundred percent I don't think Craig Kibbell staying. I think Craig Kibbell goes. I think. But I also think there's a possibility that Craig Kimbrell might be the I mean, they might sell off one other piece if they get a really good offer like for Chris Bryant. But I think it's also possible Craig Kimbrell is the biggest name they sell off besides. I think the bullpen guys are pretty much guarantees to go. Interesting. Well, that's a question that I wanted to start with here. Um, Randall, I'll throw it to you. Who is the most valuable trade piece the Cubs have right now? Well, Craig Kimbrell, I think far and away the most valuable, valuable piece they have because every team is looking for bullpen help at the deadline and Craig Kimbrell wouldn't just be bullpen help he will make any bullpen instantly several magnitudes better Um, and given his very pretty friendly contract situation he has a I believe an option for 2022 uh, and the way he's been pitching this year I think that is going to be a very, very highly sought after piece on the trade market. I think the Cubs are going to be fielding multiple, very attractive offers as far as prospects and maybe even major league talent in return, because a lot of teams are going to be desperate. We know what the Yankees got for a role Chapman in 2016 and Craig Kimbrell is at least equal to that, if not better. And what the Yankees got in that trade has given them a major league uh, caliber starting infielder for a number of seasons to come. If the Cubs are able to get uh, an offer like that for Kimbrell, they absolutely have to move him. As much as I don't want to see Kimbrell go because I like watching a good closer work and it's been a lot of fun watching Kimbrell work for the Cubs this year, I think he is far and away your most attractive trade piece. I think Bryant is a close second to that. Um, I think his representation might complicate that a little bit. Maybe Scott Boris tells teams like, look, you can trade for Bryant, but we want to work out an extension first. I don't think he'd do that, but you know, you can't really predict what Boris is going to do, uh, especially when a a huge ticket client like Chris Bryant is involved. So I would say Kimbrell is number one with several bullet points. And I think Bryant is not a close second, but not a far second either. So Kimbrell and Bryant in that order, I think are most likely on the best bets to get moved for the Cubs. Jeremy, is Kimbrell the number one player available in Major League Baseball here at the deadline? Would you say true statement or false statement to that? Um, wow, that's a tough question. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure because, first of all, I'd have to you know go through and think about everybody who's available to answer that question. And it's hard to know who's going to be available because there's still going to be some teams that are figuring that out over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, like I say, the Cubs are one of those teams. But Craig Kribble will obviously be on towards the top of that list. Uh, I, I, you know, with Randall, I agree with Randall. If they do get a, a Roldis Chapman type offer, they would have to take that because I thought that that was an overpay for a, a Roldis Chapman. So I, I would be very skeptical if they get something like that. I just don't think it will. Um, he does have the team option that will help you. Um, and also, you know, the Yankees got Billy McKinney out of that deal, who's who's been able to, you know, stick around a little bit as a major leaguer. So it's not just one major leaguer there. Um, for I think Kimbrell, I, I think he's, yeah, I, I think he's probably just because of what teams are looking for at the trade deadline. Everybody wants an elite closer and Kimbrell has been 
on Elite Closer this year. It's kind of sad to me because it's kind of like Darvish. Where we were kind of promised this guy, you know, who he is, who, who you Darvish was. We were promised this elite pitcher, this fun guy we were with Carbrough. And both of them came in, they signed, they had high expectations, and they both struggled. They both failed. And then it's like, finally, they turned the corner and they became an elite pitcher. And we just got to see a brief portion of that before they get most likely traded away. I mean, two months here for Cribble or the first half of the season, two months last year for Darvish. And then they're both tossed aside or, you know, moved on from for the Cubs. So that's a little disappointing as a fan. But, uh, you know, I think, yeah, Kimbrell's going to be lead. And then when it comes to a guy like Chris Bryant, uh, Randall talks about his representation. I don't know if that'll come into play as much because I don't think it would be hard for me if Chris Bryant's traded that like to think he's going to want an extension because he's three months away from free agency. I feel like he's going to want teams bidding over him. He's not going to want to just, just immediately go to like, you know, unless somebody gives him an amazing offer. I think he really wants to get to free agency, um, you know, at, at this point. And I think the same for probably any of the guys on the Cubs when you're that close, you know, maybe there could be some negotiation a little bit. There's that, period that little window after the world series but i think all those guys will eventually get to free agency but yeah i I just don't think there's a lot of demand for some of these guys i don't know if there's a lot of demand for an anthony rizzo like what type of prospect are you gonna get back for uh anthony rizzo who has a bad back who's struggling you know he's javi Baez, who's been out a little bit a tear lately but you know i just don't think mid-season there's going to be like the elite level demand for one of these guys. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody puts together an awesome, uh, you know, offer for Chris Bryant, but uh, I just don't quite see it. And I think, you know, you're going to get some draft compensation. It's not like a first round pick, like it was back in the day, but you're, if you hold on to them, you get, you know, you get, you know, a top, you'll probably get three of them. You'll get, you know, three more picks in the top, like 70, 80 uh, in the draft. So like, that's worth something. That's not worth nothing. Well, I I wanted to talk about the likelihood of trade here. And I think just for ease of, oh, there's so many potential names. We could go two hours talking about each guy. I kind of wanted to break it into two different groups. So a question to both of you and Randall, I'll start with you here. Um, First group of players, the guys with sort of impending free agency I was thinking about. Oh, I think we're in agreement here. Kimbrell's very likely to be traded. He's going to net a big return for the Cubs. So beyond Kimbrell, this sort of top tier, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, of that group, who do you think will be traded or who is most likely to be traded out of those three? I think Bryant of those three is probably the most likely to be traded in part because I think Rizzo and Baez are probably more likely to potentially accept extensions down the line. You touched on a little bit earlier. Rizzo's value on the free agent market is a little hard to nail down right now. You know, we know what he means to this team. We know what he's done on the field, but he, he has some issues as a hitter. And of course the back is a good bet to take him out of 10 or 20 games a year, which maybe isn't a lot in 162 game season, but it's enough for uh, teams to at least give a little bit of pause. It's really hard to nail down what his value would be on the free agent market. And it's, he might be inclined to take uh, a good bit of money from the Cubs if they're able to come in with a fair offer. And that way he gets the security. He gets to stay in the, the city and the organization he's known most of his, in fact, most of his big league career. So he might be inclined to do that. And Baez is the same way. How do you nail down the free agent value for a guy that does the things he does, but also can't do a lot of the things that he can't do. It's hard to figure. And that's why I think both of those players 
might be more inclined to accept extensions where Chris Bryant, I think is probably the all around best player and he's more likely to hit the free agent market. So I think by Bryant is probably the most likely to get traded of those three, if any are going to move. And I think Baez and Rizzo are more apt to potentially stick around and maybe even sign extensions. From those three, Jeremy, who do you think? I, I mean, I, I agree that I think Bryant is probably the most likely to be moved. I think Bryant's most likely to be moved because I think he's the best player of the three, and I think other teams will probably value him more. Um, so I, I think that that that's probably the reason why he's most likely. I, but I, I don't. I would probably put like the chances, in my opinion. I mean, I, I'm sure others vehemently disagree with me, but I, I would give it like a 50-50 shot at like a Chris Bryant being moved. I, I don't think it's a guarantee he's moved. I also don't think it's like it would be like the craziest thing in the world if he was traded. I don't think I wouldn't be surprised by it at all. So we'll see where we are in two weeks. We'll learn who's interested and in, in whom. But I you know the Cubs are obviously going to have at least I hope. I mean we thought the same about you Darvish, but the Cubs are will have high, you know, demand for Chris Bryant like they're not gonna I don't I don't think they're just gonna sell him just to sell him um so you know especially mid-season so we'll, we'll see I, I I think you know we learned the last three two three years that we've always heard these rumors about Chris Bryant being traded is he gonna go whatever and the Cubs have held on to him they never got the offer they like now maybe this is the last chance they have so maybe they're willing to accept more um except things that they wouldn't have willing to accept each other. But it seems to me like they've always been kind of, we're not going to trade this guy unless we're blown away. So unless somebody blows them away, I just don't quite think he's going to get traded. And I, I think we could go see down the line. Now, I don't know if you're talking about impending free agents. So I don't know if I'm jumping the gun. You're jumping I, the gun. Don't jump okay. the gun. We're going to get to that in a minute. Randall. Do other impending got? free agents? Um, now, Jeremy, to be clear, I'm not saying they will trade him, and, and I don't want I, them. I wasn't to, trying to say you were saying that. Sorry. I don't want I was, them to trade him. I want to see Chris Bryant on this team at least the rest of the season, but it would not surprise me, as you said. So I'm not saying they will. I just think that if we have to make the argument, the argument that one player is most likely to be traded, I think Bryant is it. And honestly, anybody who, who talks sports with me, anybody who follows me on Twitter knows how much I despise trade rumors. I think 99.9% of them are the tiniest little grain of sand of truth that you hear something from a GM or a front office executive, and that gets turned into a pearl of half truths and not truths at all that one of the reporters publishes because, you know, they, they need the clicks. So I am normally loathe to entertain any kind of trade rumors or trade discussion. And Jeremy, you said it's been the last couple off seasons where it seems like Bryant through no fault of his own is the subject of a new trade rumor every day. A new reporter every day says they've heard something or says the Cubs might be considering something. For, for me to even acknowledge that he might be the most apt to get traded shows you how far this team has fallen. And it's, it's unfortunate. Jeremy, a little bit earlier, you mentioned the bullpen having probably the highest total turnaround. Guys like Chafin, Kimbrell, probably going to be on the move here. Um, we talked about that A tier. The guys that, another point you made, Jeremy, if you lose Bryant in the offseason to free agency, at least you get a first-round draft pick out of it. And that's something. That's a significant pick, top 40 or so pick. What about the other tier of Cubs player here who maybe they don't have impending free agency, but they've got value? Kyle Hendricks, Wilson Contreras. I know I was ragging on Ian Happ, but this is still a young player with plenty of upside. There are plenty of teams that would go out and try with someone like Ian Happ to see if they could get it figured out. From that group, Jeremy, do you think anybody in there is going to be traded and who would you look for maybe being on the move? 
Uh, I don't know, just because the Cubs have some, you know, they're able to hold on to some of these guys. So, like I say, I, I think, you know, unless they get blown away, I'm not sure because they, they're not, they don't have to trade. I was going to talk a little bit about some other impending free agents. I don't know if you want to get into that more that I do think could be moved besides just the top tier guys. I was thinking, you know, like Jack Peterson, uh, Zach Davies. Uh, I don't necessarily think they'll be traded if there's high demand for, but it is a possibility, you know, that those guys are free agents. They're probably not in the plans for any future Cubs team. Uh, if the Cubs are out of it, Zach Davies, I, I think, you know, somebody might want to just have an extra starter around that, you know, can get, you know, a fifth, like when the Cubs trade for Dan Heron in 2015, um, you know, somebody around like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if those guys kind of got moved. Um when it comes to your, I know you're on Kyle. I feel like you've mentioned him a few times. I just, right now, first of all, I feel like you'd be kind. I mean, he has three years or two and a half years left. So you would get a lot of value there, but you're also kind of trying to train him kind of at his lowest mo- moment. Like he hasn't really been that good this year. I mean, he had a little stretch lately where he's been, you know, fine, but he hasn't been great. I, I would think like, if I like, I would say like, call me in a year, you know, like if Kyle Hendricks, if they need to be in the same position next year, I could see you kind of trying to move him. I think it's a little early right now to, to talk, discuss Kyle uh, Wilson. I, I think if they had, if some of their, like Miguel Amaya was really pushing, I could see something like that, but he's not really pushing. He's on the uh, injured list right now. So I, I just don't think the trades, I, I don't, I don't foresee like this huge teardown where they're all going to be traded like in the next two weeks. I, I do think there will be trades. I think if they're at the same point, like, you know, like I said, I think the bullpen will go. I think some other impending free agents will go that aren't really in long-term plans. I just, I, but I think most of like the guys that we're, we know, I will kind of still be around. Yeah. If, if trading Kyle Hendricks, you would have to be blown away by an offer uh, in part because again, he's under contract pretty cheaply for the next couple seasons. And if you think you're going to contend again uh, quickly, you're going to need that. And two, I, I don't think other teams would value him the way the Cubs do. And I just don't know that you would get the return that you would have to get in order to justify trading really your most reliable guy. Now that's an indictment of the rotation this year where a guy with Hendricks struggles has been your most reliable guy, but it's still accurate. So I think you'd really, really have to be blown away by a phone call about Kyle Hendricks in order to get rid of him at this juncture. Cause I just don't think you're going to get back in return what his value to this team going forward is. I just think the argument maybe that you could make about Hendricks being on the move is that of all the available pitchers here at the deadline, Hendricks is about at the top. There's not too many names above his in terms of interest and how many times moving forward is that still going to be the case? I think what the Cubs have to do here is you listen on everybody. I mean, there's no untouchables within the organization. There's certainly no untouchables on the 25, 26-man roster at this point. You listen on everybody. But I'm with you, Jeremy, in that they don't need to do a complete teardown. They've got virtually no money committed to the roster next year. They're not going to field an $80 million roster next year. And some of the guys that are on the team now that were part of that world championship are going to be back. Who's it going to be? Will it be Bryant and Rizzo? Will it be Baez and Rizzo? I don't know. Maybe Wilson's a candidate for an extension. It's very interesting to see what they choose to do here moving forward. But any names like we haven't mentioned, Jeremy, you got a whole bunch in there with Jock and Davies, any other maybe non bullpen names, Randall, that we haven't mentioned that could be an interesting candidate other than Eric Sogard, the MVP that of course half the league wants to and add Cy to their Young. roster. <laughs> Cy Young, right. Yeah. The Otani you know, you know 
trading Eric Sogard sure would be difficult, but you know, if you get an offer on him, you, you sure have to listen. Um, you know, Jake Marisnik is a, a good complimentary piece that you could see a contending team going after at the deadline. He does everything you want a bench player to do. He runs well, he's got some yep. power. He plays great defense. You could easily see somebody willing to give you a, a decent mid-level prospect for a, a Jake Marisnik. Um, Jeremy mentioned Jack Peterson, you know, if, an, if a team comes calling and is willing to give you something pretty good for him. Other than that, you know, we, we know what this roster is like. You're not going to get too much on too many other guys. And it's, you know, this is a really roundabout opinion, but the lack of waiver trades this year has probably killed any value on some of the fringe guys because come August, you could absolutely see someone saying, Hey, we need one more left-handed reliever. What do you think about trading Rex brothers to us? Or, you know, somebody comes calling on Robinson Chirinos because they need a reliable backup catcher uh, after July 31st. Those are the kind of deals that the fringes of this roster probably would have been traded in, but of course you can't do that anymore. So, you know, that's a, that's the tail wagging the dog, I suppose. Um, you know, that's, I think that's it. There's not a whole lot else on this roster that we haven't already covered. You know, you're probably not going to take calls on guys like Sergio Alcantara. You're probably, no one's going to want Rafael Ortega and that's, and Patrick wisdom. Probably not, you know, cause he might no. be in the plans. He might be in the plans for the future as a guy who's shown that he can potentially hit for power in the major leagues. You're not going to get calls on the fringes of this roster a whole lot. So I think the players that we've discussed thus far are probably the extent of the, the trade candidates. Well, Randall, there were some real high points in the first half of the season. I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, the Cubs spent 25 days in first place. They had that amazing run from mid-May to mid-June. They're beating up good teams, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets. Things were going really well, sweeping the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. Um, I'm putting you both on the spot here. I didn't ask you about this ahead of time. And Randall, I'll, I'll have you go first. Uh, quick answers here. Your first half MVP for the Cubs. First half MVP, Craig Kimbrell. Absolutely. What, what success they've had, they would not have had without the guy who comes out there and strikes out the side to close out a close game. I'm certain I know the answer here, but I got to ask Randall, your first half LVP. Uh, I'm going to go with as much as it pains me, Eric Sogard just brings so little value to the team. He can't hit, he can't field. I guess he can run a little bit, but you know, maybe, maybe if a, a vaccine were chasing him, he'd run faster. Um, yeah, so let, let's put Eric Sogard in that spot, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Jeremy, first half MVP. First half MVP. I'll just, I'll just go with Chris Bryant just because he's been so good, and, and it's nice to see him be good in a Cubs uniform, deservedly so. Uh, so, yeah, I think Chris Bryant would be my first half MVP. Your first half LVP. My first half LVP. I got to give it to uh, Jake Arrieta. He's just been terrible, and so okay. he's my LVP. Awesome. Well, I'm with you, Jeremy. Uh, I, I think you're both right for MVP. Kimbrell certainly works. Bryant certainly works. I'll split the difference there. Uh, LVP, just to throw a little bit of a different name in there, Tony Walters, the former Rocky great. Jeremy, I will never forget a couple years ago, you and I were out at Coors Field. We had wonderful seats. We were maybe 20 rows or so behind home plate. It was a night game. Dodgers, Rockies, full house at Coors Field. And the Iraqis fans behind us had very strong opinions about Tony Walters. I believe, Jeremy, if he played for any team except the Rockies, those fans felt he was an MVP or all-star. Maybe they said all-star. This was it. Uh, you're a little mistaken here. This was actually oh. Cubs-Rockies game. 
uh when we were in the when we were down the oh, line in the okay. outfield uh your favorite seats there were i was wearing my Baez jersey and there were some drunk rocky fans behind us mm. who were trying to heckle a little bit and saying that if wilson Contreras wasn't that great of a player and that if tony wolters played for the cubs he would be a two-time all-star just because That's well, right. he would he wilson wouldn't you know if Wilson was on the Rockies, if you flipped them, then Tony would be the two-time all-star. Wilson would be a nobody. That's good. And good call on that. You know, I I have some interesting experiences at Coors Field, and I listen to the conversations around me. You hear a lot of stupid things at the ballpark anywhere. Um, but I'm sure that Dodgers game we were at, we heard some things that night. Cause oh, we heard some because there was, like, some kids yeah. behind us that were, like, having the time of their lives, I guess. Yeah. They were drinking a little bit. One of them was wearing, Spring like, a mesh, a mesh shirt, I remember. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. All right, so we got our first half MVPs and LVPs. Um, Randall, what are you most looking forward to about the second half of the season? You know, I'm potentially looking forward to seeing what some of the young pitching can do. They today said that they were going to start stretching out Justin Steele a little bit. He is healthy. He is officially off his rehab assignment, and they officially optioned him to Iowa with the intent of stretching him out. I think you're going to see him get some kind of starts as an opener. Uh, down the stretch, hoping he can go three or four innings, maybe get through a major league lineup twice. So I'm interested in seeing him and Keegan Thompson. And I'm interested in seeing some of the uh, bullpen pieces potentially coming up from Iowa. You've got Ben Leeper, another guy throwing Mm, in the high 90s, another uh, non-drafted free agent pitching for Iowa. You've got guys like uh, Manuel Rodriguez, who's on the 40 man. So he might be more apt to come up who's throwing hard. And in fact, uh, both of those individuals pitched tonight. So that Iowa bullpen has been a strength of that club. And that may be the Cubs bullpen sooner versus later uh, as the season continues to spiral downward and the Cubs shift to seeing what they have in useful pieces for next year. Uh, so I'm interested in seeing some of the young pitching coming up and seeing what they can do at the major league level. I'm with you there, Randall. I think that's fair. Uh, I just think in general, just sort of a youth movement is something that I'm excited to see out in the second half. Um, I don't have much use anymore for Jake Arrieta. And that sucks to say that because I love him. I love everything he did for this organization. And he will always be remembered fondly at Wrigley Field this year aside. Um, I don't have much use for Trevor Williams. Sorry, Jeremy, your Pearl Jam buddy. It's just there's not a whole lot there that's exciting to me. So I want to see the Justin Steeles get starts, the uh, Cole Stewart's, the Corey Abbott's. Just give me those guys. Give them some opportunities. Let's see what's there. Um, So that's certainly what I'm looking forward to in the second half, um, eliminating those pieces. And then I, I will never take for granted seeing Chris Bryan in a Cubs uniform, seeing Anthony Rizzo in a Cubs uniform. And I don't know what's happening when the season comes to a close. So if Anthony Rizzo is on this roster, August 1st, the Cubs are in Denver the first week of August. I'm going to enjoy the hell out of seeing him play at Coors Field. And cause I don't know, maybe I'm never going to see him in a Cubs uniform again. So that's something that I'm looking forward to in the second half of the year is just kind of appreciating some of the guys and what they've done here and hoping that them sticking around and not being traded will improve the Cubs' chances of extending them, bringing them back. Even if they test free agency, I still want to see most of those guys stay in Chicago. Jeremy, second half of the year, what are you most looking forward to? Well, I kind of want to see if uh, I kind of want to see if like a guy like David Bodie can get healthy and, and actually provide something. I've always been a big Bodie fan, so I want to see him get back in, in there. I want to see him see if he can hit a little bit. Same thing with Ian Happ, you know, see if he can lift the ball a little bit so we can get some more power out of him. So those are kind of the 
a couple of guys I just want to see like if they can contribute uh, a little bit more in the second half. And I agree with you wholeheartedly about, uh, you know, appreciating the guys that we have now because uh, yeah. we don't know whether, you know, the next two weeks, these might be the last weeks you see Chris Bryant in the Cubs uniform, these are Anthony Rizzo or, or Javi Baez. So just appreciating, um, you know, what they have to give, what they've given so far in their careers. And, and, you know, like you said, like John Lester said, you know, he never thought he would ever pitch anywhere besides Boston until the moment he got traded to Oakland and he showed up there and he realized, oh, I can actually do this in another uh, organization. So that part of me is like the same way, like why I don't want those guys to be traded because I want them it, it, I, it will be a little bit harder, I would think, if they have to make the decision at the end of the season to leave, you know, to go wherever they want to go. If they're not, if they're leaving the only team they've ever known, um, that will be a little bit of a harder decision, I would think, for those guys than if they get traded. If Chris Bryant ends up who knows where, you know, I, and, you know, he's going to think like, you know, I can play wherever I've played wherever. So, you know, just appreciating those guys, I think, is a big part of the second half. Totally. Randall, I think you'll get what I'm trying to say here. In the midst of an 11 game losing streak, your mind goes to some dark places. It's just a terrible, lonely feeling when your baseball team's getting smoked on the field every night. And I got a little bit nostalgic over the last couple of days. I've been thinking about, of all guys, Aramis Ramirez, all the great memories we had of him in a Cubs uniform. And Sure, it doesn't compare to what this 2016 group did actually winning a World Series, but Aramis was a part of multiple postseason teams in 03 and 07 and 08. Great player. The way things ended for Aramis in Chicago, that when he came back as a brewer, he got booed at Wrigley Field. That, that still bothers me. It still doesn't sit well with me. I don't want anything close to that coming with anybody from this 2016 group, even a Jake Arrieta, as ugly and horrible as it's been this year. I don't want to see that happening at Wrigley Field. So that's something I'm not looking forward to maybe in the second half. Well, you know, I, I like to think fans have gotten a little bit smarter in the last 10 years to the point where people who were permitted to drive that narrative about Aramis Ramirez uh, some of them aren't even in Chicago anymore. And the ones who are, I think, have been properly marginalized as the crack job <laughs> nutcases that they are. Name names, Randall, do it. I, you know what? I'll name, name names. names. David, name David names. Kaplan limited to videoing himself and posting it on Twitter, ranting about this team. I'm glad he doesn't have the influence on the media and the fans of this team that he did at one point. And I would hope that we've gotten smarter, that if this is the last hurrah for any one of these guys as a cub for the rest of their careers. I would hope that when they next come back to Wrigley, we are all smarter than to boo them and we do the right thing and we welcome them back properly. So again, I will name names. Dave Kaplan, you, you <laughs> ruined Aramis Ramirez's, you helped ruin Aramis Ramirez's reputation when he was a cub. You, you don't have that ability anymore. You've been properly marginalized and shoved to doing your own recorded segments as you deserve. Uh, so hopefully we can be smarter if it comes he's still to that. He's got an ESPN show, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, he's still on the air. Okay, the air. great, great. My Everything else sure I said. Lots of listeners. Everything else I said remains 100% true. The uh, Northbrook, I believe Kaplan's uh, housed up in Northbrook these days. Uh, so he's, he, I, I always like when I, there's, he does some like home remodeling commercial or something where he's just like day, like you wouldn't know who he is. They're like, he's just they, like. They reference, some... the, they reference the Kaplan family of Northbrook. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, it's actually quite funny. They're like, we did the Kaplan family of Northrick. We did their kitchen. <laughs> and they're just like, I'm like, Randall, hey, it's Dave I, Kaplan. 
I, you know, I don't care for Dave Kaplan. I find his shtick to be off-putting. And I personally, but here's the thing, and, and I realize there's a little bit of irony in here saying this on a podcast, but sports radio does nothing for me. It's not appealing to me. It's, there's a lot of shitty media out there. Newspapers are a shell of what they used to be. There's a ton of nonsense in that, ton of clickbait from legitimate newspapers, things like that. Sports talk radio is the bottom of the barrel. And that's the guy's career. So whatever, good for him. He's had a successful career, whatever. Doesn't do anything for me. Doesn't move the needle for me. I think another name, though, and I'm not trying to pile on him because I actually like Bob Brenly. But Bob Brenly, I don't think, was very fair to Aramis Ramirez. And that's something Definitely. that never sat well with me. And I, there's a lot of Cubs fans who hate Bob Brenly. They don't like him. I, I thought he was a good broadcaster for the Cubs. I liked him in Len. I didn't like how he was with Aramis. And that was one of the stains, I thought, on his time in the city. And that bothers me because Aramis... You think of all the Cubs third basements. They had a couple really good ones. Ron Santo, really good third baseman. From Ron Santo to Chris Bryant, whole lot of, other than a year or two from guys, whole lot of nothing. Hey, the Penguin was there for more than a year or two. Well, for sure. But you know what I'm saying. The third base was kind of a black hole for the oh, Cubs I know, I agree. between Santo and Bryant. And Aramis filled that gap for you know about a decade. It was, it was certainly one of the great all-time Cubs. Well, Brenly did have good chemistry with Len, and that's fine. And he he had his, his moments of... Uh, decent comedy occasionally, but as you said, he also got on Aramis Ramirez unduly. He also got on Alfonso Soriano unduly. He also got on Starlin Castro unduly. It's great that he had good chemistry with his broadcast partner, but when you're consistently being unfair to players and you're helping shape that narrative around them, I, I tend to think one cancels out the other. Well, you know, he would Jeremy... be the guy yeah, that I would think drove the narrative the most. Yeah, especially with you know, just fans watching games on TV all the time. I'll never forget Jeremy and I must have been in high school, came out of the ballpark. Jeremy and I and Randall, you know, we go to ball games, especially back then when we couldn't get into bars and things around the park. We just wanted to be in the neighborhood. We wanted to walk around the ballpark. We wanted to take in the sites. The players parking lot, which is now that green space, the, the field on the left, uh, on the third base side. What's it, what's it called, Randall? The Gallagher Way. Gallagher Way. Yes, thank you. The corporate sponsors. I, I have a hard time keeping up with all that. Uh, that used to be the players parking lot. And it was a small chain link fence that separated fans from it. Jeremy and I in our high school awkwardness out there. At the time of our lives, as Bob Brenly just sucked down a cigarette in that parking lot after a ball game. Good time. Inhaled that thing. I remember. Was he on the? I feel like he was on the phone, like yelling at somebody on the phone while he was smoking a cigarette. Yeah, it was pretty great. It was great. And then before that, kind of an earlier generation of Cub fans, Yum Yum Donuts. That was the spot to go and get some of those sugary treats before the ball game. So I don't know. I've been feeling a little bit nostalgic. Maybe it's the Cubs sucking. It's like, oh, yes, this is what I remember from my youth. This is the Cubs. Familiar emotions. Back a little bit. Well, we got uh, quite a few more things we want to get to here today. We want to talk about the All-Star Game, the Home Run Derby. I got a trivia, Cubs-themed All-Star trivia coming up here. Um, but, Randall, there's one more series. The Cubs have the Cardinals this weekend in your favorite city in America, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, then the All-Star Game next week right here in Denver. Weather, what are we looking at uh, going into the weekend in St. Louis? It was 100 degrees in Denver here today. What's the weather update, Randall? Uh, so the weather update provided to us, as always, by our good friend Alexander Hall. And Ronan, a, a bit of a correction for you. The Cubs are at Wrigley this weekend. Oh, they are, they are not in my favorite city. I was a little in, confused by that, too. I was a little confused, too. They are not in my favorite city. They are in my actual favorite city. Wow. Uh, and, so, and so without any further ado, here is the weather from our good friend Alexander Hall at Alexander Hall on Twitter. And, of course, find him on his uh, professional account at Cubs Weather. 
So against St. Louis this weekend, Alexander describes the series vibe as summer heat taking a break before the break, which is most welcome because I hate heat and humidity with daily lake influence and modest humidity. I should note, uh, I hate, hate heat and humidity. That's my emphasis, not Alexander's. I don't know his opinion on heat and humidity. For Saturday and Sunday, a chance for showers will persist throughout the game window, adding to what he calls the september mood. And depending on the lineups that the Cubs put out there, it may really feel like September. Uh, so for the Friday start uh, later today, by the time you all are listening to this, you can expect conditions partly cloudy, temperatures in the mid-70s, which is pretty chilly for uh, mid-July, winds blowing in from center field at 5 to 10 miles per hour, and my two favorite words to hear over the summer, aside from Cubs win, comfortable humidity. Ooh. Saturday night is a day game, 6.15 central time start. It will be partly cloudy again, temperatures in the low 70s. There will be a chance for showers throughout with a wind in from right field around 10 miles per hour, and it will be a little bit more humid. And then finally, the end of the first half, the last game before the All-Star break, Sunday at 120. And how thankful am I that ESPN could not co-opt this one uh, by <laughs> virtue of uh, it being the last game before the All-Star break. Ah. It'll be mostly cloudy, breezy, temperatures in the low 70s with, again, a chance for showers throughout and the wind in from right field and center field at 10 to 25 miles per hour. So that could be a very atypical day for mid-July at Wrigley Field. And then, of course, we move to the All-Star break in Denver, the midsummer classic. Ronan, I suspect this forecast will sound very familiar to you. You've lived it for a number of years now. The All-Star Game Week vibe will be a hot front-range summer. It'll be hot days in Denver, cooling off nicely in the evenings in the drier western air, with a slight chance at a pop-up thunderstorm each day. Ronan, I suspect that's the water uh, water under the bridge for you. I suspect this is the forecast you hear just about every day in the summer in Denver. For yep. the Home Sunny. Run Derby... For the home run derby Monday night, temperatures will be partly cloudy in the upper 80s to start. It'll be a light wind out to center field or variable right around five miles per hour. But Alexander notes that wind will not be a huge factor. Not to worry, there are plenty of factors in Denver as it is. And then finally, for the all-star <laughs> game proper Tuesday night, you can expect what sound like perfect conditions for an event of that caliber. Partly cloudy skies, temperatures in the low 80s with light and variable winds right around five miles per hour. And so it sounds like conditions will be perfect for the All-Star Game festivities in the Mile High City later this week. So that is our last first half weather report from our good friend Alexander. Again, find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall and find his Cubs weather account, understandably, at Cubs weather on Twitter. Two great follows. And we appreciate Alexander's uh, contributions to the show in the first half. We hope to have him on back with us again in the second half. Yeah. We had him on uh, earlier in the spring. We had a great talk with him about the weather around Wrigley. He's been contributing these weather forecasts to our podcast for a number of months now. We appreciate his contributions and we highly recommend you go follow him on Twitter. Really good dude. Andy's helping us out. We got some uh, tricks coming over the next couple of weeks here as we continue to ramp up some of the production on the show here. We're looking forward to unveiling that with everybody. Um, but yes, Randall, it has been hot. 100 degrees here today in Denver. Uh, it's one of those things where the closest patch of grass is about two and a half blocks away from the apartment. And I've got a four-year-old dog now in the apartment who has to pee, Randall throughout the day. So I got to kind of juggle things here because there's a, at least a four to five hour window in the middle of the day where the sun is just beating down. It's shining on the concrete. I can't take him out. It'll burn his paws. So these are the things you worry about in Denver in the middle of July here. You got to time your dog's bathroom breaks around when the sun's at its worst. It sounds like a it, lot of moving parts, Ronan. Yeah. Have you considered a set of, 
and his yeah, poos. That's right. Uh, Wrigley or Huxley's woos and poos. Uh, have you considered getting he a said set? it, Rodin? He said it. Yep. Have you considered getting a set of like uh, dog booties, like dog shoes for Huxley so he doesn't burn his poor little paws on that hot pavement? You know, it's something uh, you got to look at for sure. Um, it's just been uh, something I've been doing what I call the barefoot test, where my apartment is ground level or street level here, where I'll go out, I'll put my barefoot on the sidewalk and I'll kind of hold it for about five or six seconds. And if it starts burning and it does, it absolutely starts burning. It's like, sorry, dude, we got to wait for some clouds to roll in here or whatever. Um, if it doesn't burn, sorry, like, let's get out there and let's get to that grass as soon as possible. So he can do his thing. And um, speaking of his thing and kind of the neighborhood here, uh, I've mentioned before, I'm sort of in the shadow of Coors Field, about a block to my left, if you walk out of my apartment and go straight to your left, is some neighborhood street parking. It's sort of a rocky area. It's where Huxley does his business at various parts of the day. But on game day, it's a place that you can sell parking spots. And Randall, Rocky's not a very good team this year, although they do draw pretty well normally to park in this neighborhood and it's about a block and a half walk to the ballpark ten dollars today the crooked numbers are starting to go in there right the prices are getting jacked up here going into this weekend futures game is going to be on sunday home run derby on monday tuesday's the all-star game i was walking around coors field a little bit before we got to recording today and the neighborhood's really coming together the signage is up what is normally a vacant lot across the street from the ballpark is being rebuilt as a sponsor area. There's a Budweiser tent and things like that. So it's really cool. It's going to be a week long baseball festivities. The convention center here, I'm going to this on Saturday has a free fan fest. There's going to be batting cages. There's going to be uh, autograph sessions. I'm not a big autograph guy. I just want to see what former Cubs maybe pop in there, but it is nice to see like the center of the baseball universe coming to Denver for the next couple of days. And the city, I think, is ready to embrace it. And Ronan, we're looking forward to your on-the-ground, on-the-street coverage of all yes, the sir. All-Star festivities. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at BTYL Podcast, where Ronan, where Ronan will be sure uh, to post a lot of those impressions yep. and photos. So something to look forward to on Twitter uh, in the coming week. I've been sending lots of videos to Randall. There's a lot of Javier Baez banners up around downtown Denver promoting the game here. Uh, I'll be at the Futures game on Sunday, so I'm looking forward to that. And I will definitely share some pictures and photos and things over the next couple of days on our Twitter account. Um, so it's exciting. I think Denver is going to be a great host city. We've talked about that. Um, what about Monday night, though? We have heard. The humidor will not be in effect for the home run derby nice. on Monday night. Some big time names. Uh, Otani, 32 home runs, the star out of Anaheim. He's going to be in it. Joey Gallo, one of the great power hitters of the last couple of years. He's in. Uh, young, uh, Pete Alonso, who set the record for rookie home runs in the National League. He is in. Uh, Trey Mancini, another great name, uh, just over a year ago battling cancer. And now he's playing in the home run derby. Trevor Story, Randall, the local favorite here, the shortstop for the Rockies. As you look ahead to the All-Star game, Monday night, Denver, Mile High City, no humidor. What are you looking forward to in the Derby? You know, I'm looking forward to watching extremely powerful hitters hit massive non-humidor home runs. Just, just bombs, tanks, whatever you want to call them. I'm looking forward to that concourse out there being pelted with baseballs. And again, I hope Dinger is standing out there. Uh, running back and forth as, as the baseballs rain down upon him. And uh, those of you unfamiliar, they have in the last few years changed the format of the home run derby. It now starts in a bracket style. It used to be all eight 
participants would go, four would advance, and then two would advance, and then you'd name a winner. Now it's an actual bracket. And so the starting bracket for this year's Home Run Derby, and these are seeded by home run totals. So it'll be uh, Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto mm. in the first Great matchup. matchup. Great matchup. It'll be Joey Gallo versus Trevor Story, Matt Olson of the Oakland Athletics versus Trey Mancini. And then it'll be an, uh, an interesting participant choice, Salvador Perez of the Royals versus Pete Alonso. And Salvador Perez and Juan Soto are both kind of interesting choices because you don't necessarily think of them as home run hitters. They're certainly guys who hit home runs and they have that ability. But Juan Soto is a guy you think of more as a great doubles hitter, a guy who can lash it to all fields with authority, but you don't always always necessarily think of him as a home run guy his career high is you know only quote unquote only 34 um but you know i'm interested to see how that innate power plays in this non-game situation because you've got guys who have been said to have incredible batting practice power but it doesn't completely translate into their home run numbers so i'm very curious to see how guys like salvador perez and juan soto do in this home run derby freddie freeman is a a similar hitter in some ways to Juan Soto in that he's a lot more of a, a gap to gap doubles guy does that great. You don't think of him as a home run hitter, even though he's perfectly capable of hitting huge home runs and his derby showing, uh, I don't believe advanced him particularly far. So I'm interested in seeing how these guys who have huge, huge batting practice power, but not necessarily huge home run numbers. I'm interested in seeing how that translates. So as you said, Shohei Otani versus Juan Soto in the one seed versus the eight seed matchup. That's going to be a great show. What do you think, Jeremy? Home run derby. Coors Field. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good guys in there. I, I'm a little taken aback, though, by Reynolds' description of Juan Soto. I think of Juan Soto as a big power guy. I don't think of him as like a gap-to-gap -gap doubles guy. He absolutely is a power um, guy. I'm saying that his I home think run of, totals... I mean, he was on pace that hit 45 home runs last year in a short season, but I mean, you could have slowed down. But... Okay, and he's very young, so he's probably going to prove me wrong because that guy can do just about anything he wants with a baseball bat in his hands. Yeah. I'm just saying I... you don't necessarily think of him as the biggest power hitter. I'm not saying he can't hit for power. I'm not saying he doesn't hit home runs. I am saying that you don't necessarily think of him as a huge home run hitter. Yeah. I think he could win the whole thing. I think he's a guy that he can, if he can, I mean, he, he struggled this year a little bit. Like we talked about with Ian Hamp, where he hasn't lifted the ball this uh, season as much as he has in past seasons. But I feel like if he could find a, um, a stroke, you know, I think he could just start cranking the ball like nonstop and and it'll be uh because he he a guy i would have liked to see is ronald acuna but juan soto is right up there with just a guy who just everything he hits he hits hard and he cranks it and if he can get any sort of lift that ball is going to travel um you know so i it it's just it, i think it'll be a fun one i think there's i think pete alonzo is a the defending champion he's gonna be a very fun guy to watch i think he will hit some just bombs. Joey Gallo obviously is going to hit bombs. Um, you know, I agree with Randall on Salvador Perez. He is a kind of a weird uh, choice there, but uh, you know, it'll it should be fun. I think it should be. Uh, uh, we'll see who's there. I mean, Otani uh, leads the league in homers, so you know, obviously he's going to be a threat. Uh, but I like I said last week, I think of uh, I think I want to see somebody try to get up to center field above the rock pile. I want to get there and uh, or somebody hit one off the scoreboard in left field. I think that would be pretty cool. The big jumbotron, whatever. If, if I mean, those those are tanks to, to reach either of those places. I don't yeah. know if it's physically possible, but who knows in the light air with no humidor. Uh, so, yeah, I think the home run derby should be very fun. 
All right, let's put it out there, putting you both on the spot. The distance of the longest home run in the home run derby will be what, Randall? I'm going to go 505. Jeremy? I'm going to go farther. I'm going to say, yeah. uh, I'm going to say 543. Whoa. Okay. I was thinking I think bigger than 505. Yeah. Um, if this was prices right, I'd say 544 and I'd Ooh. stare at you, but yeah. I don't think that's going to be, I'm going 520, hundred more than 420. I was literally just City. thinking, I was literally just thinking <laughs> that it's 420 with a little bit of extra, perfect. A little bit of extra oomph because we're at Coors Field. Uh, it's going to be a great sight to see though. I mentioned this last time or two times ago, Coors Field is a beautiful ballpark. It is in wonderful shape and the weather's going to be beautiful next week. Yeah, it's going to be hot and everything, but something that I was worried about that has not been too big of a problem over the last couple of days has been smoke, uh, forest fire smoke. When that comes into Denver, it really puts a damper on the city. It's been nice and clear the last couple of days. So you're going to get to see the mountains. You're going to get to see the sunset. Coors Field is going to look really good on television the next couple of days. And I think that that's great because they're, they're doing nice things with baseball here in the city of Denver. I don't think ownership's very good, but they're packing Coors Field routinely, a beautiful ballpark, and they're growing the sport, at least here in the Western U.S. So I think that's cool to see. And we're looking forward to the home run derby. Um, any other thoughts on the All-Star game itself on Tuesday? A couple of Cubs will be playing in it. Um, just two, though, this year. Anything you're looking for, Jeremy, in particular Tuesday night? So my only thought really is about the uniforms. I, I We've turned oh, yeah. from wearing everybody wears their own uniforms, apparently, to what I mean, we're wearing just, you know, everybody's just got some, uh, you know, basic uniform. And I think that kind of sucks. I, I Why turn your back like on smocks. tradition? Yeah. Uh, they and look why like turn, soccer. They look like soccer jerseys. Why turn your back on tradition? Something that was awesome of everybody wearing their own uniform. I thought that was pretty fun. So that's my biggest disappointment with the all-star game and uh that's really the only thing i have looking forward to it yeah yeah Anything you know, Randall, that, Tuesday? That, that jumped out at me too i like seeing the the nl and al reserves lined up down the opposite baselines and seeing all the home jerseys uh on one side and all the road jerseys on the other side and i've said this before yeah i like seeing it go uh atlanta and chicago and cincinnati in alphabetical order like that one home jersey one road jersey after the other and it's unfortunate that they will not be doing that if anyone out there is not aware the teams will be wearing their uh all-star jerseys uh, for the actual game this year. And it's the first time that's been the case in a very long time, if it's ever been the case before. And I'm not super fond of that for, because again, I like seeing the home jerseys and the road jerseys. And also because the all-star jerseys uh, are not particularly good looking. They're, they're kind of ugly. You can tell that they designed them for an Atlanta all-star game and simply did not have time to uh, redesign anything uh, with Denver in mind. And that's unfortunate, Ronan, because as you know, as well as anyone, Denver is a city you can design a lot of great elements out of. And oh, I, yeah. think, I think if they'd been able to give this the full treatment, I think the jerseys might have been uh, more interesting and more palatable, but they aren't, we're getting them. It's not gonna be great, but we'll endure, we'll move on. And I, you know, I'm looking forward to having an all-star game because as totally. I said on our, as I said on our last episode, I am a cynic and a skeptic about a lot of things, especially when it comes to MLB, but I unironically enjoy the home run derby and the all-star game. I like seeing the best players out there representing their teams. I like it more when the Cubs have more players in that game, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. So I'm looking forward to this year's all-star game. 
Very cool. And I am too. It's, it's very cool that it sort of landed here in the backyard. Supposed to be in Atlanta this year. Now it's in Denver. Um, I walk by the ballpark every single day uh, in the winter, in the fall, in the summer. I feel a connection to that ballpark. I love living near it. It's cool seeing the little day-to-day changes. And it's been fun the last couple of days seeing some of the setup or preparation ahead of the All-Star game. Um, earlier this week, for example, I could see into the video board and they were testing the StatCats, the StatCast system for the Home Run Derby. And this was interesting because so if you go to Wrigley Field during a regular season game, that video board in right field shows you the stats after uh, and at bat. So it'll show you the launch angle, exit velocity, how far the ball traveled. There is no video board in Coors Field that shows that or displays that information during a regular season game but they're making graphics for the home run derby and they had somebody in the batter's box with an aluminum bat, just jacking the ball to the outfield, trying to get those numbers up. So it was kind of cool to see that happen. Um, they added a ton of what looked like FEMA camp trailers in the outfield or some type of storage areas or a place for people to get work done. Temporary offices, maybe behind the ballpark. That's cool to see something else. I noticed Randall, I got a random question for you here in the last couple of days, a envoy convoy, of fleet vehicles have moved into the Coors Field parking lot, which I think presumably would be to pick up players at the airport, to pick up former players, broadcasters, VIPs, things like that. They're all the same nice luxury black vehicles with tinted windows. And it's clearly something to go and shuttle people around the city. They all have the same out of state plates. So my question to you, Randall, what state is hosting the fleet vehicles for the 2021 All-Star Game? Uh, so my first guess is going to be Nevada. Okay. Jeremy, what do you think? What state? I'm going to say, uh, I don't know. I'll say uh, Iowa. Michigan. So Michigan, I don't know Michigan. if it's some type of a deal with the manufacturers in Detroit, but all the fleet vehicles, and there's probably 70 to 80 of them sitting in the outfield, um, just beyond the center field fence at Coors Field that are have these pure Michigan plates. It's very, very random stuff uh, to see here. But it's cool to see the little things coming together. Uh, Larimer Street, which is one of the main thoroughfares here around the ballpark, it's totally blocked off. Uh, there, are, there are vendors being set up. I mentioned the convention center is going to have a free fan fest all weekend. There's, there's concerts in town. There's beer festivals in town. It's very cool to see the baseball world coming to Denver for a few days. Now, here's my question. Does yeah. Dinger have his own edition of like the Pope mobile where he can ride in the back surrounded by a bulletproof bubble? Is there a Dinger mobile? There is a Dinger mobile, but there is no place that you can see him. There's a drawing of him on it. There's a warning live dinosaur inside vehicle that's printed on the side of it but uh, it's not like the pope mobile where he could pop up and wave at the fans as he's going through the city well perhaps that's something the rockies can work on because i think that's a missed opportunity well randall i'm thinking at this fan fest on saturday at the convention center i think clark's going to be there i think dinger's going to be there i was just thinking of all the things that would be there there's probably going to be some mascots so might have an opportunity to meet the pantsless wonder himself clark the cub this weekend uh, I'm sh- you'll shake his hand you'll both go barehanded both go right. pantsless <laughs> we'll both go pants well you know i didn't want to i didn't right. want to uh, imply that unduly but if that's what works for you go right ahead i i am excited today just seeing people clearly people are flying into denver to enjoy the festivities over the next couple of days a uh, big weekend at red rocks is coming up the avet brothers have their three-day annual trip this weekend um some former Grateful Dead members are going to be at Red Rocks early next week. A lot of excitement, a lot of things going on in Denver the next couple of days. It's been fun, though, watching all the jerseys 
come into the city and I'm looking forward to, I got some Sammy Sosa jerseys going to get some love over the next couple of days here in Denver, just going to wear my Cubs pride and walk around the city. And I I'm looking forward to over the next couple of days, just popping into a bar or something downtown and picking up a conversation with somebody who knows what they're wearing, right? I hope they're wearing pants, but maybe they're wearing an Oakland or a Seattle Jersey, or maybe they got Red Sox stuff on to go in and talk to those folks. I'm looking forward to it. And it's just cool to see like baseball, my favorite, one of my favorite things in the world is coming into Denver. Coors Field's looking good. McGregor Square's ready to go. It's going to be a big party here for a couple of days, and I'm excited for it. You might even see a Marlins fan. And if you do, try and get a picture because that'd be like finding Sasquatch. I think he will be in town. Oh, I and, didn't say uh, Marlins. I didn't say Marlin man. <laughs> I got no, no, thank you. I said Mar- a Marlins fan. Well, uh, there were. Lots of Cardinals fans here in St. Louis for the 4th of July, and I had Cubs gear on most of that time. A couple of stare downs in the grocery store, seeing a Yachtier jersey or something and uh, things like that. But it's good to see them out of town, although there'll be some Cardinals fans with their Nolan jerseys rolling into Denver over the next couple of days. But check us out on Twitter at BTYL podcast. I'll have lots of pictures, videos, um, some multimedia content for people, give you a behind the scenes look at what's going on here. And some good stuff from the Futures game on Sunday. I've got good seats on Sunday, so I'm looking forward to that, and we'll get some content out there. Uh, Let's get some trivia. I was thinking All-Star related. I was thinking Cubs related. I got just a couple of questions for you guys. I've got three questions that are Cubs specific, one that's just sort of a generic one. I think it's really easy. That's the bonus one that has to do more with the game itself. Um, But let's uh, let's dive straight into this. So All-Star game, has a ton of tradition in the city of Chicago. The very first All-Star game, of course, July 6, 1933 at Old Comiskey Park, one of the great cathedrals in the sport. My question to you both, Jeremy, you're on the docket here first. How many times has the All-Star game been played at Wrigley Field? How many times has the All-Star game been played at Wrigley Field? Well, that's a good question. Obviously, the last time was 1990. Oh, I would assume I, I feel like I know of at least one more. I'm going to guess three. Okay. Uh, Randall, what do you think? I'm going to change my answer ever so slightly. I am going to guess two. I'm and actually going to. Oh, sorry. I thought you were done. Go. Now, yeah. So I'm going to guess two. And it should also be noted, as Jeremy said, that it's been 1990 since the Wrigley last hosted. You would think with the renovations complete that Wrigley will come up in uh, the next couple years. I know there is some talk that Wrigley was a candidate to host it after it was moved out of Atlanta. Selfishly, I'm glad that's not the case. I don't want Wrigley Field to get this rushed, partial season, potentially all-star game treatment. When Wrigley gets the all-star game back, I want it to have uh, as much fanfare as anything in the universe. So I'm glad that's not the case. Uh, But looping back, my guess is two. I actually want to change my answer. I I think I should increase it a little bit. Three seems a little low to me now. Um, I'm thinking, I'm going to say... uh, five okay um very interesting responses here and let me put a a anecdote to it as well the rockies have the all-star game this year it is the second time that coors field has hosted the midsummer classic they had it in 1998 they have it here in 2021 jeremy you had it three field has hosted the all-star game just three times in major league history that seems very low to me 1947 1962 and to your point jeremy 
most recently 1990 just three times the cubs have hosted the all-star game i changed it just because i was thinking and they used to hold it two times a year Mm -hmm. so i started thinking well if they used to hold it two times a year then maybe it was a little bit more um so i i three felt like right but then that two times a year threw me off it felt low to me i i thought that that number felt low i was thinking as i was looking that up Five is kind of where my head was at, and it ends up just three times, 1947, 1962, 1990. I think we all agree if the Cubs had not undergone the major renovations the ballpark has had in the last decade, they would have gotten one in this time. But once the Ricketts family committed to remodeling Wrigley Field, it's been sort of understood, let's just wait till all the renovations are done and then bring people to the north side. So next couple of years, the Cubs are going to get it. Of those three All-Star games, The American League has won all three of them. So no National League winners in the All-Star game at Wrigley Field. A home run derby. Randall, how many Cubs have won the home run derby? And can you name them? Boy, that is that is a tough question. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Oh, okay, two. And I'm going to guess Sammy Sosa and Ryan Sandberg. Okay. Jeremy, what do you think? How many Cubs have won the home run derby? A tradition that goes back to the early 1980s. Yeah, I was going to guess, too, same with uh, that, Sandberg and Sammy Sosa. Um, I'm trying to think if anybody else would have won one. I I mean, I know those two for a fact. Uh, So it's hard for me to just uh, to think of anybody else. So uh, I'll just say, well, you know, what? I'll throw a third in there. I'll say maybe Andre Dawson won one once. Okay. I was going to say, Jeremy, you're going to kick yourself with this one. Three Cubs have won the home run derby 1987, the Hawk, Andre Dawson. That one was played in Oakland, 1990 at Wrigley Field. Ryan Sandberg won it. And then in 2000, Sammy Sosa in Atlanta at a ballpark that they don't play baseball in anymore. Um, But Sammy made it happen there in 2000. So the Cubs have three times had a player win the home run derby, Andre Dawson, Ryan Sandberg, and Sammy Sosa, three all-time great Cubs. I mean, those names are up there with anybody in terms of Cubs history. Yeah, I was thinking maybe Dave Kingman at one point, but I don't think he ever played for the Cubs while the Homer Derby was a thing. One more question for you that's Cubs related and then a bonus one. And I hope I articulate this one right. Um, Of all of the Cubs players who have appeared in an all-star game or appeared in multiple all-star games in the all-star game itself, what is the Cubs record for career all-star home runs and who holds it? So you're saying which players hit the most home runs as a Cub in a home run derby? Uh, not in the home run derby. All-star not in home run, I'm going to say all-star game. I, that's, yes. Yeah, in an all-star game. Uh, wow, that's an interesting question. Sure. It's an I, interesting answer, too. I guess I would say... I would guess, like... I'm going to guess Billy Williams. Okay. Randall, what do you um, think? Honestly, I have no idea. You say it's an interesting answer. So I'm going to go and go come out of left field here. I'm going to say Chris Bryant with his one home run in the all-star game, because it's not entirely impossible that for all the great players, the Cubs have sent to the all-star game that not many of them have hit home runs. You may only get one or two at best. So I'm going to guess Chris Bryant with his one all-star game home run in 2016. All right. Really good stuff here. Um, Taking a look at it over the years, you're both sort of right. The record for home runs in an all-star game for a Cub is one, and nine players have it. And I wanted to read through that oh, name. Because I, there I are thought some... we were talking career. That's why I was a little confused. My bad. No, no, I, that's what I'm saying. Career. Oh, oh, the record is one with a career. One career 
all-star okay. home run, all-star game I know, home like, run. Because I know like yes. Alfonso Soriano hit a home run in San Francisco. So here are the nine Cubs and wide range of names here. Ernie Banks did it in 1960. Jeremy Alfonso Soriano in 2007. Pops, 1952. Hank Sauer with a home run in the all-star game. 2018, Wilson Contreras. 2016, Chris Bryant. 1991, Andre Dawson. Jeremy, you said Billy Williams. You're right on the money. He hit a home run in 1964. George Altman in 1961. And then I hope I'm saying this last name right. Augie Galen, Galen, G-A-L-A-N, back in 1936. So all the years, all the All-Stars, the most we've seen any one Cub All-Star hit in their career is one. Although Chris Bryant, if he can get healthy here with an opportunity maybe to do that next week. Yeah, get it to two, I mean. Get to Good two. trivia. Good trivia. Yeah. All right. Last question here. This is not cub specific. I think you both are going to get it, but I wanted to put it out there. What is the only current major league baseball city not to host an all-star game? I believe that's Tampa. You're right on the money. Uh, well, you're wrong. Actually, the city is St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. Randall, I beg your pardon. But Tampa, it is the Tampa St. Pete. And with that yes. beautiful ballpark down there, I can't imagine why they've never hosted um, so that's it. Yeah, some trivia. I got some Cubs trivia. I got some Tampa Bay Rays trivia. A lot of people in Tampa right now, probably a little hungover today. I saw the Lightning one back to back Cubs. They just keep winning. They get uh, what two Stanley Cup championships and a Super Bowl in the last year. And the and Rays an made the World Series and an American League pennant. Man, talk about a city that doesn't deserve that. Not <laughs> a damn. Not thing. at all. Not, <laughs> not a damn thing. Tampa. All right. Uh, one more thing to close Gross. with here. Um, I spent a year in Tampa. It was a learning experience for me, but it was not my favorite place to live in the United States. Let me put it this way. I'm much happier in Colorado than it was in Florida. It just better vibe for me out here than it was down by the Bay. And it, look, if you like it down there, awesome. It is very beautiful. Well, I'm told every nice. day about how Tampa is the greatest city that's ever existed in the heart of the world. So, well, I'm, I'm, I was happy to hear they uh, didn't get a whole lot of damage with hurricane Elsa that kind of uh, swooped around them. Tampa is kind of in a good spot. Hurricane wise, you go a little bit further South Miami's had its fair share of hurricanes over the years. Same thing on the East coast. Tampa kind of misses it. So that's one thing they got going for them and their teams win. You know, I guess they got that. Yeah lately well this is the 26th edition of behind the yellow line we always like to point out some of the great players who wear the numbers over the years and 26 in cubs lore it's as good as it gets a number that has been retired by the chicago cubs since 1987 of course we're talking about the great sweet swinging billy williams our buddy stan miller asking us to talk about billy for this one a couple of stats that i wanted to highlight a six-time all-star billy williams was the 1961 national league rookie of the year a couple of interesting other things too uh this one i didn't know billy williams and this record has unfortunately been broken by steve garvey of all fucking people uh but billy williams established a national league record playing in 1,117 consecutive games. That's something I didn't know about Billy Williams. So he was an everyday guy in the lineup, had 20 home runs, 80 driven in, in 13 consecutive seasons, 
never struck out more than 84 times in a season, hit 200 hits three times. He goes into the Hall of Fame with 426 career home runs, 2,700 career hits, nearly 1,500 career RBIs, a 290 career hitter. Uh, Jeremy, one of the all-time great players, the guy who's been around the Cubs organization post his playing days. Billy Williams is as good as it gets, uh, and the second Cub to have his number retired behind his old buddy Ernie Banks. Yeah, Billy Williams, sweet swinging Billy Williams, uh, just a phenomenal baseball player. And uh, one thing that I thought was cool that he mentioned on when he was on the broadcast earlier this year, he was talking. He talked. He was talking about uh, Rogers Hornsby, who yeah. was a Cubs hitting coach, and he was talking about being coached. Or I don't, I'm not in the minors. But talking about being coached by Rogers Hornsby, you know. And I thought that was pretty incredible because later in the broadcast, he was talking about when he was a Cubs hitting coach, coaching Ryan Sandberg and Rafael Palmero. So just to think that his his career spanned a guy who was playing in the 1920s to guys who retired in the 2000s, and he was yeah. affected and had an effect on both of those. So I think that's pretty incredible, you know, just to think in the long run of, of, of baseball, how cool that is, you know, you know, to go from Rogers Hornsby to Rafael Palmero. Um, so I, I think that's pretty cool. And Billy Williams, you know, he came up right away. He produced. He was the rookie of the year. He had that record for most home runs by a rookie that was later broken, I think by uh, Chris Bryant. Yeah. Got it. And so Gio Soto put a run at it, but didn't quite get there. Um, so, you know, just a great player. And I didn't know that stat that he uh, was the iron man of his time for the national mm. league. Um, but just uh, the, the lefty from Alabama, you know, he, he spent a couple years in Oakland, but uh, mostly with the Cubs and just a, a cool, seemingly a cool guy and a, and a guy to appreciate. And Jeremy, he's a softer spoken individual, you know, he's not particularly boastful. He did have one real great anecdote when he was on the broadcast earlier this season. The conversation had turned to uh, players borrowing each other's bats, try and break yourself out of a, a rough hitting spot. And Billy was asked, did you ever borrow a bat from a teammate? And he, he quietly but confidently responded, no, but plenty of teammates tried to borrow mine. <laughs> That's good stuff. And he's somebody, I just love that he's been around the organization. He's thrown out first pitches. He's been a, a coach over many years of the organization, sings the seventh inning stretch. He's an ambassador for the program. It's everything you want. I mean, Billy Williams epitomizes the very best with the history of this franchise. Um, going to that games played list, a couple of interesting things in there. So Cal Ripken Jr. has the all-time record, 2,632 consecutive games played. This is mind-boggling. That spanned from May 30, 1982 to September 19, 1998, playing these games. So um, good stuff in there. Lou Gehrig, of course, second on that list. His streak was 2,130 games. Uh, Everett Scott, a player who played in the late 19-teens, he had a record at a time of 1,307 consecutive games played. The rest of the top five, Billy Williams is six all time on that list. Number four, Steve Garvey. He's the National League player who surpassed Billy Williams. His span went 1,207 games. But my question to both of you, this is a player that all three of us have seen play a Major League Baseball game. Who is fifth on the all-time list of consecutive games played in Major League Baseball? One ahead of uh, Billy Williams on the list player that all three of us have seen play in a major league game yeah that's a great question his streak was 1152 games and it spanned june 2nd 2000 to june 21st 2007 boy that's quite a question um i'm gonna guess maybe jimmy rollins okay 
I'm going to start naming some teams here in a minute, but Jeremy, I was hoping maybe you could throw a name out there. 2000s uh, Iron Horse. 2000s Iron Horse. Uh, man, I'm going to say... I, you know, I'm going to kick myself, obviously, when I hear it. I, you know, um, trying to think, uh, I don't know, like uh, Craig Biggio. Okay. Some interesting names being thrown out here. Let me start naming some teams that this player played for, and um, I'll end with the obvious one. So I'll start with the more random ones. The Kansas City Royals, the San Francisco Giants, San Diego Padres. The Houston Astros, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Oakland Athletics. You know, I'm I'm not an infielder. Okay, an infield. That's a very eclectic mix of teams. So he bounced from one small market to the other. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not coming up with much here. And chances are, you're going to read this name, and I am going to, in fact, kick myself. He got in some trouble in 2009 pleading guilty to one count of perjury for lying to Congress about a former Cub player and his potential steroid use. Boy, we're going deep down the I know. Well I'm right trying to here. Think <laughs> I mean, it's deep not very... down the rabbit hole. I think of him as a Baltimore Oriole. Like, if you were to tell me this guy, I'd say Baltimore Oriole first and foremost. That's at least the what comes to mind for me. An infielder, yeah. a left-side infielder for the Baltimore Orioles – in the early 2000s, everyday oh, kind like, of guy. He, the, the influence of the Baltimore Orioles I'm thinking of are like Roberto Alomar, um, but it's not Roberto. His nickname, I, which is in Spanish, there's a hint, means the bus. Miguel Tejada? Miguel no. Tejada. Yeah. Miguel Tejada, Miguel fifth on Tejada. that list. Uh, Billy Williams, sixth on that list. Another name um, sort of of note, uh, Ernie Banks in the top 15 as well for consecutive games played. So some interesting stuff in there. Um, Randall, uh, before we wrap up here, what else do you got for us? You know, Ronan, I, I said it earlier. I'm, I'm cynical sometimes. I'm skeptical sometimes, especially when it comes to the game of baseball, which – uh, has never loved me quite as much as I love it. But, you know, every so often you're going to see something you've never seen before. Uh, the Washington Nationals are in San Diego tonight and Padres reliever Daniel Camarena in what is, I believe, only his second career at bat. And he's a reliever, so he's not going to get a whole lot of at bats. He didn't just homer. He hit a grand slam and he didn't just hit a grand slam. He hit it off of Max Scherzer earlier this evening he is the first relief pitcher to hit a grand slam since and this is going to bring it home with the the final word here first relief pitcher to hit a grand slam since don robinson on september 12th 1985 he did so for the pirates against who other than the chicago cubs all right good stuff randall i really appreciate you sharing that (laughs) i i think of mcdell tejada more as an a but okay i use it because he won the mvp as an a All right, let's end with this. One final word here. We'll keep it short and simple, and then we'll see you next week. Uh, We'll get something around the All-Star game as, again, we pivot to the second half of the year. One word, gentlemen. Jeremy, I'll start with you. Give me one word to sum up your first half of the 2021 Chicago Cubs season. Uh, Poo. Poo. Okay. (laughs) Randall, what do you got? Unfortunate. And I'm going to bring it home with this. Horseshit. That's it. That's all we got for this edition of Behind the Yellow Line. We'll see you next time. Episode 27, some point next week. Enjoy the All-Star game.